Hello and good evening. Um, welcome to all our listeners. Um, we're back again with another episode of A Gift From Somewhere. I am your host, Billy McTernan, and I'm here with my last but certainly not least guest, Nuatama Bodomo, who is um, a beautiful artist, a beautiful thinker. And um, yeah, I'm really excited about this particular episode because I think there's like a nice personal... All of, this, all of them have been quite personal, but there's an added level of personal um, to this one. So um, I'll let Nuatama introduce herself and um, the piece we're going to be discussing. Okay. Great. First of all, thank you so much for having me. Um, it's such an honor. I feel very held already. Yes, <laughs> being here. And it's such an honor to be in conversation with you because yes. you're an artist I really, really thank respect. You. Truly. So <laughs> very happy to be here and very excited for this conversation. Thank you. Um, so my name is Notama Bodomo. I am originally from Ghana. I was born in Accra. I'm of Dagaba origin, so from the Upper West region, but I didn't grow up there. Mm. I'm one of these third culture kids. <laughs> so I grew up on four continents. So my family went from Ghana to Norway to the U.S. briefly, and then to Hong Kong, mm-hmm. where I was a teenager. Um, and then since, and from there, I went to university in the U.S. Um, I studied filmmaking, so I'm trained as a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, in my... The first part of my career, I was very much trying to be in the American film industry. Mm-hmm. But uh, about two years ago, I moved back to Ghana. And since then, I've kind of really shifted how I even think of my practice. Like, it's even hard for me to say I'm a filmmaker right mm. now. I kind of like to define it more as I've been given a gift <laughs> that um, has to do with sight um, and understanding the language of sight and images. And that's what I'm practicing exploring, learning, translating especially. It's like a word I like to use a lot. So it's really removing sort of my filmic practice from the bounds of what it means to make a film on set in a certain way um, and trying to shift it into something that feels more fluid and organic and, and in, in, in relationship to how I'm flowing through the world. Um, and so that's a practice that is really generative for me currently. I call it mother tongue. Okay. So I, uh, mother tongue studio, that's kind of where, that's sort of the basis for a lot of the newer projects that I'm taking on. And I can get into that more um, over the course of the conversation yeah. because for me, I mean, as somebody who is definitely like a returnee and very proudly diasporan, mm-hmm. um, even though it's like complicated, mm-hmm. um, it's been really generative to think about the idea of a mother tongue as in a language that is unspoken, mm-hmm. you know, like a sort of internal language. Mm-hmm. Um, and also to try and think through my relationship to my own mother tongue, Dagari, where I don't speak it perfectly. I speak with an accent. Anybody who speaks Dagari would laugh at me <laughs> if I'm speaking it, even mm-hmm. though I understand mm-hmm. everything or a lot of it. Um, so mother tongue is also my way of trying to show the ways in which I deeply am a very deep Dagari speaker. Mm. <laughs> or, you know, let me say a Dagari thinker, Dagari mm-hmm. knower, mm-hmm. maybe not speaker, but, you know, mm. there's so many access points to knowledge. Mm-hmm. So these are some of the themes that um, I work through with mother tongue, and I would love to get into it more. Yeah. Um, thanks for sharing. Um, I think also it's what's, you know, just like the name mother tongue and then the text we're coming to, to speak about is your mother's book. (laughs) Like, do you want to tell us why, why, why this book? And and what about uh, this particular excerpt that you're going to read? What spoke to you about it in particular? Yeah, so um, when I started working through the sort of like framework of mother tongue, it was, it wasn't, it's highly conceptual and really about thinking through knowledge production and like what, 
access to knowledge we lost in the colonial encounter mm -hmm. and like how can we go back to those things in this very diasporic remixing of knowledge kind of way um, and then you know my mom has uh, since her father died in 1995 yeah. has been writing her memoir mm -hmm. and it came up as an opportunity to edit she asked me to edit her book because it was going to be released earlier this year mm. um and so i went through that process of editing my mother's book right and you know um on there's like a complication you know almost in like working with your mother um and i don't mean in a bad way i just mean that like there's so much emotionality involved in that mm -hmm. um so maybe I was maybe even bratty in the beginning, maybe mm. procrastinating on it. Because I'm actually remembering that I, like almost 10 years ago, she first asked me to read her book mm. and like think through it. And it's taken me such a long process to finally do this work. Mm. But last December, I, I finally sat down and did it. And the text offered me so much, you know, like in, in ways I couldn't predict. And, you know, on one hand, there's the honor of editing my mother's book and ensuring that, you know, my mom is... Um, an amazing human, uh, very knowledgeable, speaks so many languages. It's one of these people, as I'll express when I describe the book more, who moved around Ghana and so has this very like cross knowledge of this country. Mm -hmm. She speaks trees, she speaks Hausa, mm -hmm. she speaks English, she speaks so many different languages, um, has such a you know big perspective of this country. And so to, for, her to, for her to finally like connect these things and write it down I think it's such an important perspective not just for me for you know everyone else yeah the world who's yeah, yeah. yeah who's interested in Ghana yeah but then for me too having that intimate access to my own heritage my mm -hmm. own lineage mm -hmm. and especially with you know through the mother tongue lens I think orality and like hearing stories from your elders becomes such an important lens as well and so to be able to read and like from to understand village life to get all these Dagari words that I would never have access to because they're just not in my context yeah. and the, in the Dagari I'm speaking so just to have like brass tacks knowledge that I just wouldn't have had including idiomatic knowledge mm -hmm. but also to get this access to my ancestors so like I didn't grow up in Ghana so I didn't get to grow up with my grandfather and my grandmother in ways that my cousins did right but to sort of read and, and like learn so much about them it just felt intimate in a way I, I as a diasporan rarely have access to yeah. so uh, the novel is Infinite Roots by Mary Baudemont yeah. um, it charts her life she's uh, the child of uh, an army soldier um, and so grew up moving across barracks um, so I think oh I see the, yeah. that's how the whole coming across Ga different parts of Ghana yes, comes into it okay, exactly yeah. right yeah. so I think by the time she's le you know the book starts with, with her, her early childhood and then ends when she's leaving Ghana for the first time okay with me I'm just born at that oh, point you know yeah. so then, like I'm, she's that's um, really nice yeah, yeah. it's like I'm in there yeah exactly um, made it yeah <laughs> <laughs> firstborn Steve yeah but um so in that time, she, I think she's, you know, she's lived in Tamale, she's lived in Ho, she's lived in Kumasi, she's lived in Wa, she's lived in mm -hmm. Akra, you know, like, yeah, Takradi, yeah. like, really moved around. Yeah. So um, the book starts as an ode to her father. So I okay. think in, in the beginning of the book, the family is going back from Kumasi, where they live, back to their uh, village in the Upper East region. She, as a Kumasi bee, like a Kumasi mm -hmm. child, is getting her first access to village life. Mm -hmm. And then through that, sort of, like, I think what's really beautiful is that there's kind of uh, so many layers of oration mm -hmm. in the book. So it's 
my mother doing the telling of her memory, but in the book, her father is telling her about his life. Her mother is telling her about mm-hmm. her life, you know? And so these layers really connect and mm-hmm. all these stories really blend. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, Infinite Roots is just that, an access to infinite roots. Yeah. You know what I yeah. mean? It's not just, here's your story and this and that it's one thing. Yeah. It's this thing of, through the way in which my mom has written this book, um, you're getting these little pockets of knowledge yeah. from all, all these, these different voices. people and all yeah. these elders. And there's really this like evolution in it too where she, as a little girl who's listening and listening and listening, becomes a storyteller mm. by the end of it. So that mm. growth is there too. Um, but one thing I really appreciated having not, like access to through this book is just an understanding of my, my grandfather, her father, because I knew him as um, staunch Catholic, okay. <laughs> you know, like that's always, every time people talk about him, it's like he was so prayerful, he was so prayerful, yeah. he always made us pray. Um, and, you know, that's complicated to like really, you know, thinking like, okay, so this is the person that Christianized right, the family, <laughs> the family yeah. right? Yeah. Um, but, um, and this is connected to the excerpt, excerpt I'm about to read. Um, you know, she, she, she starts... You know, with his earliest life, mm. and he's born. His his um, his mother had twelve boys. Oh wow! And then <laughs> um, after the death of that first husband, got remarried, mm-hmm. and then had two more boys. Wow! And that was sort of like a taboo thing to happen. Okay. And so he had a very chaotic. And was he in the first set? No, he he's the last born. Oh okay. So so my grandfather, my mother's father's name is Kamelena, mm-hmm. which in the Gara means another one. Oh wow. <laughs> So it's sort of like, yeah, sort of like this thing where you know, and that 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 thing of like remarrying and then having sons was mm-hmm. taboo, mm. and so he had a very hard childhood, mm-hmm. you know. And I think in the book, I'm I'm finally able to learn that you know when the missionaries come and they offer this alternate world, it makes sense. There's yeah, there's people in society who yeah. don't want to be there and yeah. for good reasons, and so for those reasons he joined the catholic church yeah, yeah, and like, sense, you know yeah. Be- yeah moved up through the ranks became very respected became mm-hmm. a soldier you mm-hmm. know yeah so one of the things i really appreciated about getting to read infinite roots through the act of editing it was access to some of the choices my ancestors had made in their lives for mm-hmm. example with my grandfather my mother's father who christianized or let's say catholicized mm-hmm. <laughs> the family and i've always questioned that um that choice but through reading the book came to understand you know that, yeah, his reasons and his thinking. And so I wanted to read an excerpt from the book that um, sort of goes into my grandfather's point of view around whiteness Mm -hmm. and then complicates that. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay, so this is an excerpt. My father really believed that the white man traveled to bring fame to his country, but the black man traveled to bring disgrace. I didn't always agree with him, but he was not the type that you could sass back at. You would end up being cursed like those leaders he blamed for all his setbacks. My father's idea of whiteness would only be crushed by an incident that happened years later when my younger sister, Aviela, arrived back home in the middle of the term, 500 miles from the boarding school that she attended far up north to collect her school fees. Baba was exasperated and, and in his own description, perplexed. This was what he never wanted to happen. Although poor, he had, de- he had been determined to educate all his children, all girls, in a boy-child-conscious society like Ghana. His aim had been to prove that girl children were as good as boy children if they were given equal opportunities. He had earned the name and had come to be known as someone who fought for girl-child education by supporting a number of cousins and nieces 
some of whom were very distant relations in schools when their fathers refused to do so simply because they were girls. But that was when he was in the army and life was better for him. Now, as a pensioner, his finances were definitely not the best. His heart had sunk like a ship on the high seas and his forehead seemed to have caught fire when my sister had appeared at the door on that hot afternoon in May. He had immediately cast his eyes around for a possible benefactor or moneylender and had continued that way for two days. Then he had finally decided to go to the parish priest for 400 cities, which was about 10 US dollars in the early 1990s to send my sister back to school. Fearing the worst, he had practiced for hours on how best to put the problem forward to evade all doubts. Dinner over, he had left unceremoniously to see father who happened to be white. Like all other borrowers, he had told a long-winded story just to make sure he made sense. Without uttering a word, father had gotten up and had gone into his room. My father just breathed, breathed a sigh of relief and made the sign of the cross on his forehead. Father returned after 10 minutes, cleared his throat loudly, just wanted to ask whether you do not have other Dagaba in your community. Baba was dazed. I didn't know where I was, he later said. The man of God continued, I'm here as a priest and not a moneylender. You people think white people pluck money from trees, so you go around concocting stories to get you money from us. I am afraid I do not have any money for you. My father was a catechist in the church. He read the Dagari Gospel on some Sundays, did the collection, visited the sick and the aged, and had recently raised funds for the renovation of the church. He assisted the church in many ways and did not expect father, of all people, who was aware of his contributions and sacrifices to the church to show him such heartlessness. He got up in disbelief and left feeling very humiliated and hurt to the core. Let's, let's pause here, because I feel like that is a, a, a good context to just... Um, we're talking about the 1990s. Um, 40 years? 40 years after independence? Or yeah. Almost 40 you years know, yeah. after independence. Yeah. And, um, you know, just hearing about your, your, your grandfather, your granddad's, like, history and... And how much that would have hurt. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think given the abuse he faced from his own community in mm -hmm. his childhood and how whiteness, but also especially the church, um, had brought him out of that. And, you know, earlier in the excerpt, he's saying that, you know, white people travel to do good things mm -hmm. and black people don't. And I think that echoes something that I even hear today in Ghanaian culture, mm -hmm. like, something around like white people use their technology for good and black right. people, you know. Um, so it's like a very deep belief system and one that's been reinforced in his own life and one that, you know, is sort of motivating everything he's doing in life. Um, and I think in this excerpt, you know, my mom is also like enumerating all his contributions to the church. You know, he's like, he's not somebody who just goes to church and wants a lot. Mm -hmm. He's given his life to the space. Mm. And so to hear that, yeah. And I'm thinking, like, um, just in terms of your own upbringing and how, you know, we're talking about a couple of generations ago, how that, though you weren't sort of growing up around your grandparents or around um, uh, this generation of people or, or this, these family members, how does that filter into your upbringing, if at all, and whether that could be, like, a complete departure or things that, you know, sound familiar? You know, how did, did, did it appear or not appear in any sort of way? Yeah, I mean, I, you know, I didn't grow up with the same reverence for whiteness, I think because we were in white societies, mm -hmm. you know? Um, I think my parents, so just for a little bit more context too, um, I've spoken about, you know, the work my mom does. My dad is a linguist of like a, he's a linguistics professor who, you know, charted the grammar of Dagari in his first text and like, you know, growing up in this family of like 
not just languages and literatures, but very Africa-focused and mm -hmm. Africa-diaspora-focused. I think I grew up in a family that was like highly pan-African, you know, highly, you know, um, pro-African, mm -hmm. pro-blackness. Um, and so I wouldn't say that we grew up with these same ideas, especially earlier in the book. Um, she's talking about like always wanting to challenge her father in mm -hmm. his views, because even my mom growing up in these Catholic schools and these barracks is growing up around more white people than you know my grandfather did. And so I think um, I understand a lot when I when I read this excerpt. Like I don't I don't think it, I don't think of my grandfather as silly in his choices, mm -hmm. you know. Um, but by the time I'm growing up with my parents, a lot of the shifts have happened yeah. in that thinking. Which is not to say that I grew up divorced from any of that, you know, like within the context of a whole family, especially in Ghana, yeah. a Christianized family. Um, these ideas are very present. And I think about when, um, in the late 90s, we moved back to Ghana. So I went to part of my primary school here. Okay. And for a while, I was like, you know, just come, you know, like, and I got all these questions from, from my, like, peers and fellow students. And the questions were sort of like, oh, wow, we didn't know that they had toilets outside abroad, you know. Right. Or, oh, wow, like, we didn't know that the moon looked the same way. There's this, like, very, you know... Just like yeah. inherent reverence yeah. for abroad. I think as well, what it seems, I don't know, you can confirm, what it seems like almost because your mum grew up like as the next generation from that, mm -hmm. that departure starts with, and I, I'm guessing your dad is, I don't know, but at least that generation or your parents or your mum specifically here, that departure starts there. So even, so how you grew up, it's not that it's the same as what um, your granddad or your grandfather was saying, but the effect of how he moved through the world and how he saw the world was a big, not a big part, but played a part in why your mum was like, I'm not yeah. on that. <laughs> Do you know yeah, what I mean? And yeah, that's yeah. how it reflects in your life because it's like, she's like, mm, nah. Yeah. Not really. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Because she's got all this, you know, she's seeing it for, you know, she's seen it from a different perspective. Um, she doesn't have the same history, the same background as him. And so her experience is on a very different, yeah. you know, her relations are very different. And so she responds to that. And so then you guys come up through the way you yeah. are through that response. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? For sure. Yeah. And, you know, but, but, you know, this, this whole context does actually even increase my respect for my grandfather in this mm -hmm. way, just because it took him leaving his situation through the sort of, through leveraging that sort of Catholicism, that whiteness. hundred percent. For my mom to grow up as a Kumasi BA and being Kumasi go. and have, you know, in the same way that as he, much as He I, saw opportunity. Exactly. Hello? Yeah. 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 <laughs> he needed to take that for the step to happen. hundred yeah, yeah, percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. And I think what it shows as well, it's really not like a, a morally, there's not like a moral position in this kind of situation. Yeah. It's like, what is best for me and my family? Yeah. I was treated like, not great yeah. you know yeah. shit yeah maybe by the community or yeah. whoever yeah and this is maybe the case here but also we can speak to so many other cases yeah so many other people whose stories maybe are kind of similar it wasn't great for me here yeah. and this was offering me something better yeah. it's why people leave for economic opportunities it's exactly. why people do it's not do you know what i mean exactly yeah yeah, yeah. so um yeah thanks for sharing that so do you want to do you want to continue because um it starts to get juicy. Okay. <laughs> it starts to get juicy and then we can, you know, sort of bring things together okay. and um, go a bit more into mother tongue and your practice. And um, yeah, we can yeah. take it from there. Perfect. Yeah, thank you. Um, 
Okay, so they've just gotten the news that the father will not help mm -hmm. Baba. So, Mma, and that's my mother's mother. Mma uh, was crestfallen to hear about Baba's letdown. She had immediately communicated the problem to her friend, a fancy lady from Cape Coast, who was our next door neighbor in the compound house in which we lived in Kumasi, the garden city, the second largest, and the capital town of the Ashanti region of Ghana. That's in parentheses. Kumasi is where I was bred and buttered, as I usually say to my friends. Auntie, as well as, Auntie, as we all call this kind-hearted, down-to-earth lady, was a newcomer in the house. She had moved in after a painful divorce, with my mother always, which my mother always referred to as gruesome, but never really gave us details since we were still kids. Auntie had my mother's kind of heart, very big and unthinkably hardworking for a city woman. They got on well and almost did everything together. Auntie was very outraged to hear that a devout Christian like my father was treated that way by nobody else but a priest. Therefore, in the twinkle of an eye, the two women had cooked up a plan. They would wake up early the next morning, go to the forest, and fetch firewood for sale. Firewood sold like hot cake. It was a tedious job to engage in, but as long as one could bring oneself to doing it, it was the most viable business around that one did not need any capital to engage in. No head-spinning pranks by moneylenders, no creditors. It was a ready buyer's, ready cash business. It was a nice feeling to suddenly realize they were just some sweat away from money that would solve the problem. The two women were gone. Enthusiastic and determined as they were, they had worked like donkeys without noticing it. Hours rolled by, and by evening they had fetched enough firewood that would give them about ten headloads, five for each of them, and with that they could get more than enough money for my sister and something for their own pockets. The forest was about ten kilometers from the house, but they were not perturbed. Fortunately, their first three headloads were bought by Kenke sellers, a popular dish made with fermented corn dough and eaten with fried fish and pepper or gravy, mostly sold by the roadside. The first 300 CDs were made the hard way, but with their dignity intact. They had been worn out by cutting and hewing wood the whole day, and therefore I decided to go home and come back for the rest of the next day. Before cockcrow, the next morning, they were gone again. Most of the time, firewood fetchers would go very early in order to finish the hard work of cutting and hewing before sunrise. Mma and auntie got a ready market for the rest of the firewood eight kilometers from the house, this time to palm kernel oil extractors, and by midday, they were back home ready to dispatch my sister the same day to school. Aviela was able to beat the one-week deadline, which was given to feed the falters. I think for me, why this excerpt really stands out to mm -hmm. me in the whole book is like, um, it really just shows the place of women's work 100%. and women's labor. And I think that, you know, on one hand, in the first part that was written, it's just sort of like, yeah, this father saying, no, what do you think of me? You know, and that's, this is like the space that my grandfather has really put his faith into. Yeah. You know, but then you have Uma and auntie and, and that ability to just be on the ground. Think on your feet. Uh-huh. And, and, and. Get it done. Get, get the it job done. done. She needs to go back to school, yeah? Yeah. What are we even doing yes. here? <laughs> and that access and that type of labor and yeah. that, that undergirds everything. Because I think especially working from a framework of mother tongue, I think that's what I think about a lot is, especially for me, uh, being a Dagao, just like a very patrilineal society mm -hmm. and that heavily privileges uh, masculine power mm -hmm. and men. And, you know, I'm not saying this to, like, immediately judge patrilinearity, right? I'm not, I always want to clarify that it's not coming from a perspective of just completely hating that system mm -hmm. or being against it. But I think that one thing that happens is the, is the forgetting of labor that really undergirds everything. And that's what this excerpt really brings forward for me. It's just that, like, sure, my, my grandfather had a system that he was, was in that he yeah. thought could help him. Yeah. 
But when it couldn't, there is this type of labor. Yeah. The ability to be on the ground and be in network with people around the yeah. Kenke sellers, the palm kernel oils, you know. Yeah, exactly. People like, you know, just being able to access that um, and to understand that kind of business and to yeah, just get the job done. Do you know what that made me think of when I was reading it? It made me think of um, in art spaces, let's say, because we're both in the art spaces. Yeah. It made me think of when, um, you know, you're, you maybe want to try to get something done for a project. And a lot of times, I mean, you've been here for a couple of years now and maybe you've faced this or maybe you'll, you'll start to face it even more, probably. Like, and it doesn't always just come like that. And here, there's a lot of thinking on our feet and doing yeah. things ourselves. Yeah. Um, and so it really reminded me of that kind of, like, thinking outside of the box um, um, way of way of having your art practice or having your having your life practice yeah. it's not even just the art practice it's a life practice life. as we just saw yeah yeah it's just what what the system what the system or what the situation brings in so it makes you be more innovative yeah. um more um thoughtful about where money can go what it can do and and more creative and i don't even mean creative like oh this is a very creative mm. piece of work i mean just look more thoughtfully creative yeah yeah um that you don't necessarily get I don't know, I mean, because I've also... My practice has mostly been based on I've been in this part, like, kind of thing. So I don't know exactly how it is. You know, I know a lot of friends I do have, like, if I don't get this grant, how am I going to do this project? Mm-mm-mm. Do the project, bro. Do you know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I hear that. You've got to do that. the project. And yeah. it, it also made me think of that, like, this kind of... Interestingly enough, like you mentioned, your grandfather did go through that um, more... Um, if I could say Western system, <laughs> even though it was in Ghana, it was like yeah. that kind of more Western cool, system yeah, of like yeah. this is how we, you know you do this, you do this, and then you get your pension, do that yeah. kind of thing. Whereas your mum and auntie, uh, sorry, your your grandmother and auntie, the neighbour, yeah. um, were just sort of like, but what's going on here? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah <laughs> what's yeah, our yeah. situation? Yeah, <laughs> kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. Do you yeah. want to speak? Is there anything you want to say towards that? Yeah, I mean, I think I definitely connected to that type of creativity that gets the job done yeah. and you, you work from nothing and you create something. Um, I also kind of, when I link the two sort of like the art world work that you mentioned, but also what I read in the excerpt is like, you know, sometimes I get sad about how that kind of work gets forgotten. You know, 100. like when you're standing, you know, with your prizes, yeah. you know, when you're standing with your awards, when you're standing when your name is in lights, it's easy to say, but she, I in Ghana especially get this thing of like, oh, she's American, she's right. in America, it's so easy, da, da, da. And I think that a lot of the work, the kind of labor that, we've, that we're bringing up right now just gets lost sometimes when, mm-hmm. when you're lauded or when the naming comes and the prizes come and the sort of recognition comes. And, you know, similarly, I think, with, like, when Aviela goes back to school and she graduates and we're bringing people to, like, congratulate. Mm-hmm. I've experienced this because, you know, part of my practice is based in Tamale, so I live in Tamale sometimes. And... Um, you know, you'll be at an event and the person who's put it on will have his parents there. Mm-hmm. And it'll be like, let's bring out the father. And right. we all clap for him. And yeah. it's like, the father did yeah. this, you know. And the, the mothers. And the mothers. Yeah, yeah you know, and yeah. it's sort of like to the side. And yeah. I think, you know, it's not to belittle the work of the father. But I just... It's to also uplift the yeah. work of the mother. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And then to understand them yeah. as like, yeah. It's all creators yeah. of this human, you know, and yeah. work. Like yeah. it's not like it's beyond just being a creator of the human. It's like I've also worked. Yeah, it's just a different kind of work. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. That forgotten labor. Yeah, yeah. 
Uh, yeah, but like that thing of forgotten labor and what is unsaid and the underpinnings and things like that are really huge for me when I think through like mother tongue. And as I said, it's sort of like a language that is unspoken mm-hmm. and sort of the under language. And I think as somebody who works in images, which is, has a lot to do with like, if you're thinking about language, the unsaid, because you know, it's always show, don't tell. You know, yeah, that's like yeah, a sort yeah, of yeah. like thing you yeah. always hear in film school, show, don't tell. And like, when I said, you know, I'm coming, I'm operating from a gift that is sight-based that I'm kind of now translating, <laughs> you know, from what I'm, you know, maybe calling um, something ancestral mm-hmm. and translating that into like the context of like the contemporary modern world mm-hmm. today. It's a lot of things that um, are unspoken and unsaid, and I think because of that, haven't really been, are, are still unseen. Mm-hmm. And that's mm-hmm. kind of what I'm trying to work through. Sort of, sort of like, the, okay. the for, both the forgotten, but also the thing that wants to remain unspoken, if that okay. makes sense. Yeah, I think yeah. I get you. So I'm, I'm just like connecting it to um, this work that we speak about that Ma and yeah. Auntie were doing that is not often seen or recognised. And... And, and showing that, like bringing yeah. that out, yeah. and putting it front and center, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so let's talk a little bit about a bit more about mother tongue and um, how some of your interests kind of like unfold there in terms of, um, if I can say, film practice. Mm-hmm. No, feel free, feel free. Yeah. Feel free, feel free. Still, still proud about film, but just yeah. you know. <laughs> um, it reminds me a bit of like we spoke about this earlier in the year. We touched on it earlier in the year. Um, when we were in WA mm-hmm. and um, how you were thinking beyond the limits of filmmaking and how I've been thinking beyond the mi- beyond or trying to in, it's always an attempt anyway isn't it it's yeah. never a, a final destination but an attempt to think beyond the, the, the limits of writing yeah. and and bookmaking and, and what, it, what, what a book how books are made and yeah. what a book should look like um, maybe you can like speak to to that element of your practice <coughs> yeah yes um so, yeah, one thing I really connect with with your practice is the aspect of weaving. Mm-hmm. And for me, that comes, um, like, one of the projects I've done under this sort of, like, thinking is called Unbraiding Three-Act Structure. And so when you go to film school, you're taught three-act structure, and it's just how you make films. There's just no question. That's it. It's, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's the, the who, it's the who, what, where, why of journalism. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, okay, yeah, yeah. yeah, this is a rule that <laughs> nobody that's has it. questioned. Yeah. <laughs> And it gets crazy, though, because these, these uh, structures come from, like, Greek playwriting mm-hmm. in whatever century that is far gone. Yeah. Which made sense then, maybe. It yeah. did, but also, yeah. like, film was invented in the late 19th century, like, right. you know, and, and, and then became the kind of art form it is, like, later than that. And so I just feel like every other aspect of filmic technology has changed. Mm-hmm. The cameras are not the same. Mm-hmm. You know, nothing is the same in film. So why are we still... Using yeah. these. And I, I think that, you know, for me, too, I'm somebody who... I've been you know, scheduled to make my first feature for a long time. Mm -hmm. And I think coming out of the the film school space I was in, it was like, why can't I write my script? Yeah. And then I just got to a place where I was like, you know what? The structure is not for me. It just just cannot tell the stories I want to tell, you know? And so, like, um, with with Unbraiding Three-Act Structure, because I have this sort of very academic film school background, I was just taking every single aspect, the very dry aspects of like 3X structure and kind of undoing them. Because yeah. it has a lot to do with Greek mythology and an understanding of the hero that's very like male-centric, mm-hmm. also singular person-centric. Mm-hmm. So already mm-hmm. it's just mm-hmm. sort of like, we have to undo it even at that level. Mm-hmm. 
Also, it's like an idea that uh, stories are propulsive and people's actions lead to destinations. Mm -hmm. And I think especially when you like put it in, Af I don't want to be too general, but yeah, when you put it in an African context, you can already question that, the mm -hmm. idea that this action will lead to that mm -hmm. and it's like propulsive in this way and you know, somebody is, you know, gets what they want and it's a comedy. It's just these, these, just at their base, yeah. you know? So a lot of that work is just trying to undo that using the, the sort of conceptual framework of unbraiding your hair after mm -hmm. you've had it braided for some time. Um, and so I was kind of in that work just thinking, okay, so now the scalp is open. Yeah. You know, the braid is undone. I've unbraided 3X structure. What other structures are there That's it, yeah. to now think about how to write a film and mm -hmm. for me what came to me was like kente weaving mm -hmm. and like looking at it kind of almost pictorially because i know that like kente has meaning mm -hmm. you know like the colors mean things mm -hmm. and like it, it denotes certain stature and who it was woven for so I, I you know that that is very the material meaning there's meaning in the material for sure so, yeah but just for this thought experiment i was like let me just look at the structure yeah. of these patterns yeah like just the visual Exactly. As it were. Right. Yeah. It's always like stripe, stripe, side yes. stripe, 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 side stripe. stripe. Yeah. Like, what if these were scene by scene? Because, you know, in, in film, we also have something where, called a beat board. Okay. Where you can put all your scenes onto cue cards and lay them out. And then you see these color changes and act changes and things like that. Um, so just seeing um, a candy cloth at the sort of beat, beat board. Yeah. <laughs> and just like reading that and what kind of structures come out of that. So just, I feel like this sort of work is like, you know, very at the basis of the way I'm thinking yeah. and why, you know, breaking free of how we're educated and something like, you know, the sort of pedagogical, like, structures and what do you call it, like, hegemonies. Yeah. And finding something else because I just think even, even some, like, really, um, even some really, like, classic African stories, like, let me, I, oh, I use the example of Things Fall Apart. Yeah. And Okonkwo, where mm -hmm. it's like, that's known across the world. I don't want to use 3X structure to tell mm -hmm. a Conquest story if mm -hmm. I'm going to make a movie of Things Fall Apart. I'm going to need to see your version. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to be, I'm gonna have to be, I'm going to have to put that out there. <laughs> Give me this chance. Yeah. I'll do it. No, I just feel like, for me, it's so much more about the like existential crisis. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. It's not like a beginning, middle, and end in the same way. Mm. I don't think that that can really speak to like, the crushing shift that he's dealing with in, in that book, you know. You know what, yeah? <coughs> Sorry. That is a thought. That is so interesting. Because we, we, we read that story, we love that story, it's done so much, it's fantastic and wonderfully written. But there's something else there. Yeah. 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 yeah Even sure. if you just use the script as it were, but made a film, you can visually do a whole lot is layers i mean i mean i think novels very naturally aren't in th this kind of three-act structure no. i think there's something of there's like you know so much of my practice is so anti-text and i hate the written word but yeah. i'm actually a literature geek yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Un unbeknownst to most people at this stage of my life but like so i think novel writing just so naturally flows in a way where you can like go into pockets and, 100%, and, and just do this other part i think that's what i really like yeah and i think um actually this work so for the listeners, we're currently in my studio, and I'm like, anyway, and even not even say anything before my the people that are doing the show. And I'll be like, what do you mean you're not even done? Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, so so what this work is, if I can just quickly do a quick, this is like this is it. Where is it? You know, going off into different pockets. Well, let me yeah. just do it anyway. What this work is is it's um, text from um, an essay I wrote a few years ago, which, funnily enough. I was thinking so cinematically about as I was writing it, if you see what I mean. Like, mm. it was very visual for me. Mm. Um, in the end, when it got printed, um, 
when it was published, rather, the editors did their own thing and made it their own thing, um, which was like a crushing disappointment to me. But I needed, I needed the money to pay for my MFA, so I was like, it is what it is. I had to charge it to the game. Do you know what I mean? But um, yeah, just thinking about how writing can really like why do and that was part of my thing. And we'll speak about the journalism as well. But that was part of my thing, like. Why does it have to fit into this, this, this structure? Like, why can't I talk about this person and then go here and then yeah. come back? And, like, why yeah. not? Because that's how it happens in real life, actually. Yes. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah for sure. Anyway, I just wanted to tie, let's, like, draw mm. a little parallel there. Um, I probably made you lose your... No, you the parallels are deeply there. Between yeah. That's like, part of why I'm so excited to yeah. be here, you know? Like, uh, yeah. I, yeah, I think even just, like... I don't know. I think the way that you work too just brings it out of this context that, you know, I think sometimes you can translate in a way that makes it feel like it has to make sense in the same way in both languages. Yeah. But I feel like the way that you're working with weaving and undoing text yeah. becomes something completely different, but it's still has thing. meaning and structure and like, like profundity to it. You yeah, know? I'm glad you can see that because that's really, yeah. that's really the, the, the attempt, yeah. <laughs> as I say, yeah. that I'm trying to make of it. And I was when we were when we were at the um, the uh, the festival in Wa, and mm. I was watching the video as you're kind of describing now, mm. with the um, the reading of the the Kenti cloth, and I think there was also one from Nigeria. I forgot which one. Okay, yeah, 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 yeah. And it was so beautiful because there was also like a sonic. You brought in like this mm. also sonic vibe. I'm mm. like, okay. We out here. Yeah, we out <laughs> yeah, here. yeah. There's a, there's a freedom in I get thing up. I don't know if you feel this too in your work, but like there's just a new freedom I feel. Completely. And I feel like just that's uh, first of first off, that's why undoing was such an important pre framework. Mm-hmm. Like you know, like I don't know if I should bring this into this, but I, I you know, in, in Kwame Nkrumah's conscientism, he starts the book by like going through Western philosophy and mm-hmm. like being like this. And I'm like, why does he have to do this? This right. is Kwame and Krumah. Like, yeah. I don't really want to hear. But I feel like by doing that, he sort of lets people know, like, listen, I've I know I know stuff. my stuff. It's yeah. not from nowhere. I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm putting it aside. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. I'm now starting. And I think that ability to now just like start anew is such a free space. Yeah. And so what you're referencing is like in order to read these Kente cloths that I mentioned or the Asha, okay, it was it wasn't just like from text <laughs> or from story structure yeah. it came as like sounds and rhythms yeah. Yeah. first yeah. and that's from where i was like now coming up with these stories yeah yeah that's a really important i didn't plan to do that like mm-hmm. i really just opened myself up to a certain kind of channeling and i feel like even channeling is such an important concept for me as i think through creative practice right now yeah. um and i think you know with mo- with mother tongue too like i'm like very proudly diasporan mm-hmm. But what that means is that people can question left and right and all day how much right. I really know my culture. Your authenticity, your so-called yeah. authenticity. Exactly. Yeah. And I think things like this enable me to also stand up and be proud and say, no, 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 this is how much. I know. And yeah. it's like, yes, I can't say like every single word in the gari. Like when but my also, the thing, that, the thing about that that bothers me is that we, we, lean, we would lean towards some kind of essentialism. Mm-hmm. Essentialism, yeah. Mm-hmm. Just to make sure I'm saying it right. Which is dangerous, yeah. As far as I'm concerned, yeah. my my personal opinion. Let me even say, I think because there's no there's no one way. There's nobody in this Ghana or in this world that is the perfect yeah. um, embodiment of that culture. Yeah, it, it doesn't it doesn't exist. Yeah. It's not there. Culture moves, tradition exactly. change, things, and so even the idea of like ah, but you know what I mean. It's like yeah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah no. and I feel like this work is even. 
it's an extension of that. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Like, I think that, you know, we have to give space. I think one thing that happens so often, too, when we think about, like, what is ancestral, what is traditional, what is indigenous, is we keep it stuck in some sort of pre-colonial world. Mm. And I don't like that because, mm. like, there's still indigeneity operating in our contemporary now, world. and growing right? and new, exactly. newly forming. So we have to give that space. Yeah. I think that if any, say, traditional language is going to be in this century, there has to, there has to be space. You know, like, I do come from a, a, a family of, like, linguists and language teachers. Yeah. And so there is validity to correctness and, like, sketching grammars yes. and doing that work and like ensuring that like the language is in the literature in a certain way i respect that 100 but i also as you said cultures grow cultures shift it's There's supposed so to all be there everything points. is supposed to be present it's not exactly. supposed to be just that thing it's supposed to be everything exactly yeah and one thing that makes me really adamant about this kind of other knowledge is that we really have to work through the problem of literacy, mm-hmm. especially because a lot of our languages weren't written down in a certain mm-hmm. way. So there's the work to do of writing those down languages down, and maybe what do you, what romanizing them? Is that mm-hmm. what it's called? Yeah, you I know? think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Putting Beautiful them in word. Thing. Yeah. But I also think that to me, images are a way to access to kind of jump over text. <laughs> yeah. And because images, I think, also speak to oral orality. You know, so it's almost like with images, with filmmaking. You can you can jump over that barrier of text if you respect that knowledge yeah. of images as and just sound. As, yeah. How yeah. do you see how do you see infinite roots like visually as you mm-hmm. as you've been reading it or as, as you had been reading yeah. it? What what was sort of coming up for you, if anything? Yeah. Um, <laughs> one way I'll say it structurally, mm. I think that you know because there's so many chapters to this book and there's so many layers and like the roots are infinite. Like there's just all these little corners. And for me, I've, I've for a long time been very... This is like another angle in Mother Tongue. But there, I've been for a long time been very interested in the specific programming schedule of the telenovela in Ghana. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So like 8 p.m., Monday to Thursday, mm-hmm. you're just following this story again and again mm-hmm. and again. I love, how it, I love how it gathers people, but I love who it specifically gathers. Mm-hmm. And so, and that's like women, like, you know, if you're in a hair salon, like women are running so in yeah. to get, you know, yeah. like it, and people talk about it, like market women will have after shows, the dating, yeah. the characters. I'm, I, I'm really enamored by this specific sort of structure and, and who it brings together and who it connects and networks. I just always sort of, not resent, but don't like the fact that it's always something foreign, right? It's like mm. either an Indian soap opera or a Mexican, Mexican or like yeah. Spanish soap opera, yeah. you know, like. Filipina, Korean, and we're watching everything right, here. Right, right. I don't think... It, I mean, I think Infinite Roots would be wonderful in that kind of okay. context. Yeah. Um, but, you know, just also access to, like, Ghanaian stories in that kind of context, yeah. you know, and to, like, be able to, like, really talk through characters in that way. But I, I visually, I see Infinite Roots as very multi-layered, you know? I think that, for me, intimacy is what I really appreciate in this novel, um, historical intimacy, and that's something that is, has become really important to me because a lot of stories that I want to adapt or like research or histories that I want to research and create into like a film, you know, they come from the desire to like create historical intimacies. Mm-hmm. So for the longest time, I've been researching a movie called Afronauts. It's about a space mm-hmm. program that happened in Zambia in the 1960s. These are big histories. It was the Zambian independence movement. We're following freedom fighters, ex-soldiers. You know, it's that classic African independence story of people went and fought in wars. They were promised land. They came back. They didn't get it. And then 
they rebelled. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, um, so very big histories, but the ability to sort of see the intimacies of that and who was there. And, and um, in Afronauts, it's specifically the way, once again, women's work undergirded everything. Because when I was researching with, you know, the previous freedom fighters, I would ask, like, so what were the women doing? Yeah. And it was, they were cooking and cleaning. You know, you're talking to a certain kind of, like, macho, masculinized yeah, yeah, yeah. man. They were cooking and cleaning. And it was like, all you could get about these women. There's, like, one or two, like, uh, Julia Chicamonica, like, one or two, like, women that were lauded. Okay. But the thing we kept hearing is that women were there. What were they doing? They were cooking and cleaning. And so in, in terms of, like, historical intimacies, wanting to really understand that, like, if a group of people are sitting and food is being brought in, and food is being taken out and plates are being taken out like who is really doing the work here mm-hmm. who is really like you know creating the revolution let mm-hmm. me say it like that mm-hmm. you know um and so like and sustaining yeah exactly you know because they would tell these stories where it's like how did you get around and there were these amazing networks because it's like they could be in the bush and go anywhere and know that they would be fed yeah so like yeah. there's one That's way to look at cooking and cleaning yeah. but there's another way where it's like this is what allowed the revolution <laughs> you know yeah, what i exactly. mean yeah. to be in the bush and you know you have shelter and yeah. food and all yeah. these things everywhere you go and so i think when i talk about historical intimacies things like that become really important so like making a movie where you really are showing who is behind the scene. I mean, this is not an original idea. There's a movie called Zama by Lucretia Martel. Okay. Um, and she's Argentinian, so she's telling like a, a story about the colonial encounter with conquistadors in, mm-hmm. in Argentina. And in this movie, every sort of enslaved person or side person, like there's somebody, f- there's a room of people talking to white men and there's somebody fanning them right. while it's <laughs> happening. And she makes it the squeakiest fan ever. Right. So it's like the whole scene. <laughs> it's like, is about <laughs> you know, and it's like, that's you really cannot funny. ignore the right. labor that's going right. around. Um, I so that. I think things like that are really come to mind. So when I see Infinite Roots, I just think that it's about getting access to historical intimacy. So like, she starts the book with her grandmother, my great-grandmother, Grandma Nyansema. Okay. And she's we uh, weaving waist beads, or sorry, she's weaving, what do you call them? Waist yeah, necklaces, waist beads. Okay, she's weaving waist beads, and like you know, she, her vision is going. But she's named my mother's naming all the different colors in the waist beads, okay. and what it means to her to do that, mm-hmm. and to be able to just get that intimacy, mm-hmm. I think is so important. So for me, it's about the details. Yeah. But um, yeah, <laughs> and the details, like especially those visual details. As you said that, I can complete. Like I've seen it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And that's what sometimes gives the extra life to the story, I feel yeah. like. Um, yeah. In terms of, like, production, so, so in, in the storytelling, we can see how to bring, you know, like you mentioned, Lucretia Martel, and how to, in script writing, how to, like, draw the attention to this. Yeah. In terms of the production, how do you also try to, um, like, continue that thread of unseen work that might be from it might be predominantly done by women how do you sort of bring that into yeah making these are big questions because i think that i think especially in filmmaking there's the assumption that filmmakers make a lot of money Mm because there's so much money that goes into the making of this work but filmmakers are historically sort of also shafted like the box office takes 75 percent of proceeds but i've been part of quite a few experiments to sort of undo these like power structures about how the waterfall and how money goes to people Mm -hmm. um it's still a work in progress let me say like Mm -hmm. that the the systems are deeply entrenched 
Um, but I think that, you know, one way that I, I think about, and when I say like projects, I've been a part of several collective projects, mm-hmm. both being in film collectives, um, like the New Negro Film Society, it's like a black women's film collective in, in the US. I was also part of a, a film called Collective Unconscious, which was five filmmakers adapting each other's work. So, you know, and then even the show Random Acts of Flyness, mm-hmm. I think the way that we crafted the work was very like collective based in the first season. Um, so I've been in my sort of earliest filmic years, like really trying to undo, like work for, like, yeah, undo certain filmic structures through a lens of collectivity. Mm. But I will say that, and, and, and that work is powerful and that work continues. Um, but for me specifically, I think I'm focusing more on the fact that my gaze allows a certain difference and I can step into that very very with with power yeah fully so who am i choosing to be in my cruise mm-hmm. who am i bringing together who yeah. am i networking like the work of directing is about sort of like putting work in front of a in front of a camera but it's also about who you network who you this bring is it. together this is the means you of know? production if for yeah. one of a better yeah. expression yeah. do you know what i mean yeah. yeah for sure yeah um so um for example i shot a movie in tamale in march um that came together very quickly. I'm not even going to say like, oh, I planned and did everything mm-hmm. perfectly. I did not. <laughs> I learned a lot in the process, but that's also part of my process is yeah. doing and learning and, and shifting. Um, but one thing that one of the crew members said to me afterwards was like, he, he was like, wow, this is the first sort of project like this I've been on that's run by women. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I think I had in the back of my mind known that that was happening, but it wasn't like, I was like, this is going to be our project right. run by women. But like, to now, who's, who's doing it? Who's like, yeah. really in like the production team? Yeah. It was women. Yeah. And that feels kind of like, like whatever, not whatever, but it just feels like every day maybe in yeah. a way uh, to me. Yeah. But within the context of Tamale and like, especially the film industry and especially the film industry in Ghana, I was like, okay, wow, that, that is this something, is a big deal. you know? Yeah. It does something. And I don't want to overly... It's not to overly praise myself because my experience coming out of that shoot was extreme thankfulness Mm -hmm. for it happening because community really gathered to make that happen so quickly. But also just, like, I have a lot to learn. Like, it's my first Ghanaian production. Um, I'm so thankful for that experience because when I was, like, 20 years old in undergrad, starting to be a filmmaker, I always knew I was coming back to Ghana to make Ghana movies. Like, that's just, like, something that... You know, because when I was a child in Ghana, my first experience was really watching was like the one TV everybody gathered. Watching us, you yeah, know, exactly. we're watching the yeah. soap operas, yeah. we're watching the World Cup, and like that really, or we're watching these Nigerian movies, Ghanaian movies, yeah. and we're like talking about them and crying about them. And that's kind of like a sort of like origin image for me and my filmmaking. And so like just to look up in March and it's like, oh, wow. I'm doing it. <laughs> Whoa. <Yeah. laughs> you know, uh, was like, yeah, it meant a lot. But, you know, not to... I'm not somebody that wants to overly romanticize things. I think that, like, it's, like, the beginning of something that is in progress. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. And all these kind of the things that you try to bring into Mother Tongue, because, I mean, through directing, but through production, like, through all these various strands of yeah. the filmmaking business, for want of a better... Or the filmmaking yeah. industry, all these various strands find themselves with this core sort of... Um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um not concept but this core ideology yeah 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 um so before we were talking you mentioned that i didn't know this that you had wanted to be a journalist yeah and um change your mind could you just speak about why (laughs) because it's kind of interesting that i might be able to chip in here (laughs) yeah so i let's see 
I can't really, let me try and remember exactly why I started wanting to be a journalist specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, so I grew up in Hong Kong mm-hmm. as a teenager. And, you know, I'm not somebody who like overly loves to think about representation as like the savior of us all. Mm-hmm. But I was definitely unrepresented. Right, like, right. Like a crazy <laughs> way. <laughs> so I really got into like teen magazines and like uh, kind of thought that there would there was like a really... Because I'm, I'm really into, I think historically I've always been into quote unquote low culture or low art. Okay. So in the same way I was saying the soap operas and yeah. like wanting to be in that Mainstream center. kind of vibes. Yeah, yeah. It's who you can access and yeah. who, yeah, accessibility I think is really important. So like the format of the teen magazine became mm. like an obsessive thing for mm-hmm. me and how to like put things in there and you know like, I think Teen Vogue ended up getting closest right. with this, right. you know, like <laughs> as years, was it Teen Vogue? Yeah, where it's mm-hmm. like, it became like radical and it's like for teenagers, but it's like, you know other voices yeah. are in there um so that was kind of like i just thought i was gonna be the editor-in-chief of right. like some teen magazine in new york just right. like living my best like <laughs> i feel like i've seen this film yeah i know yes. <laughs> <laughs> like romantic comedy yeah, exactly. I'm so fly, you know? um yeah um and so that that was sort of like why journalism for me yeah um, but yeah, I, I went to university, I joined the school newspaper, and it was, you know, a very specific set of power struggles and power right. dynamics that if you don't really want to be in that, you're not going to find yourself there. Yeah. And I found a new accessibility through filmmaking, so. I think the funny thing for me with the journalism is that um, going back to Infinite Roots and like, you know, just Infinite Roots and also Mother Tongue and the the, um, the voices of the, the unseen or unheard or, mm-hmm. uns, you know, not, spoke, not too spoken about voices, I think that was what it was for me, and not even what it was, what it, I guess it still is, but what when I was practicing more in that kind of field was like, okay, but whose stories are not being told? And it kind of goes a bit back to representation, to yeah, be fair. Yeah. Um, like, what stories are we not hearing? Whose stories are not being told? And, and that kind of thing. And I guess that was the, that was what, I mean, I actually ended up getting into it for, essentially. It came out in different ways, and, you know, I took, took various paths and... Um, but yeah, that idea, and I think that still sits at, it still sits at the core mm. of this. I'm pointing now <laughs> this mm. practice. Like, what other stories? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. What other ways of telling? Yeah, you know, kind of thing. Um, so it was interesting. Yeah, yeah. Other ways of telling. I I think that I don't know. From yeah, I really connected that because I think for me it was just sort of sitting with the loss maybe of like the I want to say the colonial encounter but like when you really think about what we've lost in terms of access to knowledge mm, mm-hmm. <laughs> through the colonial encounter and through how educational systems were formed and how knowledge is even thought mm-hmm. about and knowledge production it even is right now like we just lose so much yeah. of like who we were and who we could have could, been yeah yeah if this, you know, and I don't want to get too stuck in it. If it didn't happen, I kind of want to be like we went through it. So where are we going now? Kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. But I, I just think that is the basis that gives the freedom. Like when you're telling other an other story, when you're accessing an other knowledge, I think you are you have the prerogative of a freedom. Yeah. To like operate in other ways, and it's necessary. I think a lot of people don't really. Sometimes I feel like when I speak like this, it gets heard in so many different ways. Like oh, she's Afrocentric. Right. But if somebody went to Austria to study like Mozart, you know, like for yeah. ten years, you'd be like, wow, 
like, you know, that's real knowledge. That's yeah. like a yeah. PhD. And but when you start talking in this way, people call it Afrocentric. You know, that's in just in that way. Yeah, because I just see it as like because I think that this can be applied across. I feel like we're given across the globe. You know, we're given this or we're following this system that is really very not. It's not working. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and oh. it's and it's and this is a global thing. It's not working for the people for the majority of people for whom think it's even working for them. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Exactly. So it's not even like, it doesn't even end at, um, um, it doesn't even end with racial politics or colonial um, um, histories and stuff. Like it's, it's a very, it's like very present, like today there's an issue. Yeah. Yeah. And and, and I mean, sorry, there's several issues. Today there are several issues for all of us in varying degrees. Yeah. Some of them come with colonial, um, in fact, all of them come with colonial encounters one way or the other. (laughs) Like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, imperialism, one way or the other, whichever side of the um, um, encounter or experience you and your family's history might be, one way or the other is there. But even, like, um, uh, you know, um, economically, um, class-based, yeah. inside countries that maybe are even just pure, just it's just white people, but in that class-based, there's still, there's still issues. Yeah. Like, it doesn't just end with, oh, because you know, I'm coming from this place and you're coming from that place, this is why I need to... No, we all need yeah. to, like, dash yeah. away these structures. Yeah. <laughs> you know what yeah, I mean? Because, like, yeah. if you're coming from a background ancestrally, let's say, that's, mm. like, European or you're American mm. or English or whatever, and I mean ancestrally, like, yeah, yeah, everything yeah. just has that lineage and it's, like, revered by the whole world. Yeah. That's too much of a head start. D- just, just we have to it. undo this. Yeah. Like, it's too it's much just, of a head start we got for other start. people. Yeah. But I also feel like as you're speaking, one thing I re- I don't speak tree, mm. but one thing I, I understand it very vaguely. Mm. But one thing I really love about tree is that people give a lot of lip service to how hard it is to speak English. Yeah. Like people will be like, oh, bro, who idiot? Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. like yeah. I have to speak English all day. All I'm the time, just yeah, oh, the English is even <laughs> coming again. Oh my God. <laughs> It's like so much labor to yeah, speak yeah, English. Yeah. And I love that. Like, you know, I get, especially when I'm in Kawasi, it's like people are laughing at me all the time. But I love it. They don't know that I'm like, I'm on your side. I can't right. speak the language. Yeah, I'm, I'm but bringing I feel English. You. Yeah. But no, I agree. Like, why would you ever speak English in this country? Yeah. You know? But yeah, I love that just because it's like, it just highlights this thing of like, you've already shifted people away from how they're constructing their lives and constructing their knowledge if you're asking them to speak English, you know? It's like, you almost can't. Or, like, what I also love is, like, you know, WhatsApp has brought back, like, the culture of, like, voice notes. And that changes literacy and and communication so much in a beautiful way because I think, you know, so many times people are like, oh, texting, I just can't text as much as you're texting. Because I can send a long-ass text. But, like, people are just like, no, I need to, if I'm going to express myself, I need to do it in the voice notes, you know? I yeah. Just, these are, like, minute forms of, like, other knowledge or even breaking away from some of these, like, knowledge systems yeah. that were, yeah, have been enforced. That I, really I want to come back to, because um, you mentioned before about, like, knowledge productions and things that we lost and things that we can bring back and such. Mm-hmm. And I want to go to English because um, I feel like, I feel like people in the world don't take as much ownership over English as they should. Mm. Mm. It's not your language anymore, bro. Mm. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? I hear that. Ghanaian English is full and thriving. Mm-hmm. Oh, the, I hear it that. It is a language. I hear that. I hear that. I hear Forget that. that other one that they think that you have to speak like that. Undo it. Yeah. Your yeah. one is good. Yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? We know what you're saying. You're saying the distance. Or we know, we, we yeah. get it. Yeah. Do you yeah. understand? And it's kind of like, it's kind of like, it's here now. I'm not saying that, um, 
it's, it's, it's because it's a particular kind of English that is revered, but the English that we have is fantastic. Yeah. No, I hear you. It, it yeah. expresses things so well. So well. And I think that, like, I'm not even, like, raised in Ghana, but you'll mm. hear me using Ghanaian English terms because, like, they express it so much Yeah, I know what you're than, talking about. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, for some reason, that's reminding me of this viral video that happened during the Brexit times so where it's, like, this 40-something south asian man south asian heritage man and like a 16 year old like white teenager on a bus in england and the 16 year old was saying go back where you came from you know using some racial slurs yeah. and the guy was making a point that you're 16 and i'm 48 yeah. i've been british longer than you longer than you four, four times longer in fact three times there you go like, yeah, i didn't mass <laughs> You know what happens. Yeah. But like, it's just one of those things where it's sort of like, yeah, this isn't, you, you're taking too much ownership. You're taking too much thing. ownership. After you need all to relax. this like colonialism, you, need to you don't get to have your you need language to relax. in that way. Yeah. And the thing, I think where, I mean, it's going to just end up going to 5,000 <laughs> different places. Um, but like where this really comes to the fore for me is when I think about um, the Caribbean, mm. which doesn't have one place where you can point back and be like we are authentically this or that mm, no mm, the caribbean mm. is a complete melting pot for in in mm. in some of in you know tragedy and awful circumstances and, and varying yeah. various varying or various migrations and immigration yeah. um um enslavement and all sorts of things in varying degrees but it is it is it exists as what it is yeah and the cultures the languages the things that come from there are they're valid and it's not a lesser english it's not a lesser this and i see that in the same way here like even to understand the uh, the concept of the Ghanaian, we already know yeah. how many different yeah. do you know what i mean yeah, 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 yeah. or the african how many different so yeah. all the things that do come from all these shifts in the in in their the horrid histories they exist now yeah what are we doing with them yeah 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 i i love that point that you're making yeah. and i think you know earlier i was saying like sometimes we overdo this thing of like the indigenous is the original or the pre you know like the characters i guess you know i will admit that like i have sometimes have these moments where i'm like wow the caribbean needs to be so much deeper or so much more a part of my thinking especially when i th- talk about global blackness mm. because uh, sometimes i sit and i think like from like france Fanon to amis amis there it's mm-hmm. like so much of like the thinking of like global black yeah. thought is coming from that place but also these ideas of like like who the indigenous people of these islands were and are they there anymore and when you like bring in mm-hmm. all of that and like what it, yeah I, I, I yeah it's a great point yeah it's a great and point. what all these count in what all of these encounters have brought because yeah. they're not i mean they're not just they're not just african yeah right and exactly. they're not just european i mean it is it is and it's not in this it's not in this um exoticized um hybrid or mm. we're all no it's not that not true because ra- no, no it's not a, it's yeah, not yeah, that yeah. because racial politics exists and it's very it's it's not this you know oh we're all gonna be no i don't i don't mean this at all yeah that's not what i mean so i want to be very clear about that but the fact that we are who we are now and who we are is is, is as valid as who our ancestors were yeah basically for sure but also like you know incorporating the histories that we want to undo sometimes when we, we can't forget them. Back. Yeah, you can't. You cannot because yeah. this violence has yeah. made me, and you're gonna hear about it. Yeah, and you're gonna. Yeah. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna not talk about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. this violence, this the violence that you know you brought here or whatever, all of those things. Yeah, it's, it's and it's 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 who I, it's also who I am. So exactly. I can't even get rid of it. No, exactly. 
exactly. I can't not talk about it because inside me. There we go. Yeah. It's part of everything. Yeah, yeah. I think one other example that was like kind of like a breakthrough for me was just that like um, Kente cloth mm. was not colored until the yeah. colonial encounter because it's trained and like new colors coming in. Do you want to talk a bit about that? Oh, I mean, I don't, I can't say that I'm the expert. I just, mm. I just mean that like, in pre-colonial times, cleansing cloth was black and white because mm-hmm. it was access to like certain dyes were mm-hmm. not available. You know, were mm-hmm. not there before this colonial encounter. Mm. So it's so, sometimes when we think about heritage and what is African, we like overdo what we see as like you know like kente cloth. Mm-hmm. It's like mm-hmm. you know it's colored. Like, I don't yeah, you know, yeah, we yeah. think of it as colored, mind, yeah. but like that is something that happened through the sort of like trade and sort of like cultural intermingling that yeah. happened in the colonial encounter, and. We don't need to undo that and say that it's not it original happened. or indigenous or, you know, yeah. like this. It's sort of like when people see new technology and they incorporate it into their systems, that is indigenous thinking. Yeah. That is indigenous technology. 100%. You know, it doesn't have to be something pure. Yeah. So. And also, also trade and things were happening aside colonialism, like other lives were being yeah. lived yeah. outside of the, yeah. that. Yeah, there's specific I mean? encounters we think about, yes. like the colonial master. Yeah, the colonial yeah, this is it. There were so many other lives, so many yeah. other realities, yeah. seen, unseen. No, there were. I mean, I mean yeah. like some like other stories, other yeah. lives, other ones to the side. What else yeah. is going on, kind yeah. of thing? Like, yeah. how do we? Cons- and, it's, and again, it's it's there. No, no one's trying to erase it, and it's just like. But what, like, how do we get a broader view? Yeah. Like, what else? It's like what we're saying. Like, not saying that um, having the oral. Tra- so, what, no. What do you say? Um, the ro- the romanizing oh like the there's the work of like romanizing a language that's or making it, it text based even if it wasn't important work. work let's bring this work forward yes what, other work? what are you doing uh-huh. exactly. what are you good at exactly. <laughs> you know what I mean exactly yeah there's so many other accesses so to, many because yeah. I think for me I just one thing I just like I said I keep I feel like I used to say anti-text but I'm like actually a lit nerd but it's just this thing of like in our current understanding of no- general understanding of knowledge, we just privilege text too much. So much. You know, the reading, the certain kind of reading. You know, because I see, you know, people say watch images, but I'm also like, we read images. That's you know what it. I mean? Like, yeah. there's so much active thinking that goes on. Just even the language, too. It's like, you're just sitting back and watching is how we think of images. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Versus, like, the active viewing that happens. Yeah, it makes it sound at, like it's a passive kind of yeah. relationship. Yeah. 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 But it's... It's very active. Yeah. You're bringing something. You're bringing your own life histories, experiences, mm-hmm. socializations mm-hmm. to the to the image. Plus, it's also, like, just in our daily... I feel like in daily life, there's so much about... You're looking at somebody saying, like, you know... Like, there's one example I gave. I was, like, meeting with some guy, and he was one of these extremely macho men. Mm. And we're talking about a possible, like, video we're going to do together. And I showed a reference, and it had pink in it. He was like, I hate pink. Mm. I just don't... I hate the color pink. I can't do any pink. (laughs) And I'm looking at this guy, and he's wearing, like, a salmon colored shirt. (laughs) And I was like, this is... No, I feel like these are the things that I love. I mean, you could probably write that in a text-based way. Yeah. But I just love the image for this. Mm -hmm, It's just like, mm -hmm. there's what people say, and then there's the unsaid yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and they're yeah. mingling at the yeah. same time yeah. you know and you're always in real life reading people in this way yeah you know, definitely like, who people say they are or how and then they behavior do behavior is yeah exactly. <laughs> and what so, they do i think yeah. that's as well like with the with the work it's the same thing like you i'm like i love text i love to read i love all of that kind of stuff yeah but um you know as we say sometimes you've got to kill your darlings mm. <laughs> bring true. something else through and let's see what else because this work makes me write differently now yeah i love that yeah do you know what I mean? Yeah. So now it is bringing fruit, even inside the, the, the form, as it were, that I was... 
I'm just it's not even what I'm trying to move away from, but the form I'm trying to ex- to expand. Yeah, yeah. I am writing differently now. Yeah. So how yeah. else can now are we thinking differently? Like, yeah. do you know what I mean? Like, outside of um, these artistic practices and stuff, like when we bring it into our life. Yeah. You mentioned like with the production and how you're doing certain different things and stuff. Yeah. How we bring it into like our daily interactions. Like how are we also undoing. Yeah. Yeah. On a day to day, because we're not we're not we're not doing art twenty four seven. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? On a day to day, we're just being. Yeah. How is that coming through? No, I, I yeah, I like this point that you're making because I feel like that there's something. I think when I was being educated, the act of making work is sometimes called like writing or creating in a way that's very like self focused, mm-hmm. like my work. Yeah. Know? Um, but I feel like the the deepest creative shift for me is this concept of channeling. And I think that's this thing of like, when you're talking about just being <laughs> and just moving and just for me, I think a lot of it, and I want to, I want to kind of, I don't know if I need to give a disclaimer because I don't want it to sound, I'm such an Aquarius. So I think that I'm like very aware yeah. that like, I don't want it to sound like I'm self-important or it's just about me. Yeah. Because so much of my work has been like, oh, undo the self, undo the self. But I do think that actually right now it's so much about like really trusting the collection of who I am and yeah. the collection of who I've been and my perspective and the way my body moves in the world. Because I'm very aware of that part, especially as somebody who holds a camera mm-hmm. and has been given the skill to understand holding a camera mm-hmm. and especially directing several people around a camera, but to also be in a visibly female body. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That is something that cannot be understated. Yeah. You know, I think, you know. Especially when you're talking about it on some sort of like ancestral channeling yeah. for it to be chosen in this way. Yeah. Um, but I think that channeling becomes really important because I think it's just about trusting, you know, the various convergences of who I am and how that will be shifting and undoing things just by me going by being. and being there. Yeah, yeah. In space. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's ultimately what allows me, because I think for me... I've been such a pro because when you're a filmmaker, these are like grand projects you're taking on. It's not as process based as I would like my work to be. Mm-hmm. But I think that for me, the one of the bigger shifts I'm trying to en- enact right now in my practice is to be more prolific in the work. Mm-hmm. Like just to be like make the work and move on and create a body of work yeah. and not like because I've spent six to eight years just like doggedly pursuing making one project that hasn't been made yet. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So I just think that for me, that shift is sort of just trusting my creative process trusting my creative channel and the fact that it's me but it's also everything that has made me yeah coming through that channel then. and operating in that way i think that to me is like the thing that undoes the westernized thinking around what art making is for me because mm-hmm. it's not you know like i think it's easy to say westernized but i think it's very clearly you're you're american mm-hmm, mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. say like you know like people are like you go to go to film school find your voice this is the step yeah yeah your voice yeah. like you as an artist you know it's you yeah and i feel like i just that has been a framework that just like i can't it really stops me yeah you know um but to think of it as like i'm channeling and i can call it ancestral and i think the more and more i clarify myself the more people understand that i say that not generally yeah like it's not just me being like the ancestors yeah, like i know yeah, ancestors yeah. Yeah, yeah. is like viral right Those now poor ancestors like <laughs> yeah, me jerry what's he gonna do yeah, people keep calling us loudly man <laughs> like exactly yeah. but like the more, the more and more work i do the more i want that to be like a very distinct thing that i'm saying yeah sure but to speak in that way and to like talk about channeling i think it's like that is the key shift that enables the newer practice so when it, it's like it's about like 
shifts in like production, shifts yeah. in writing and storytelling, shifts in what you're seeing in front of the screen and how you're bringing a movie to get all these shifts. I'm not like structuring them like pre like writing out a business plan. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, and it's about finding the pieces to fit in accordingly. Exactly. Yeah, it's about flow and being in in, in relationship to like yeah. you know, yeah. Like even making the sort of like proof of concept in March, it was sort of like. I had I have a way I make movies and to like be able to make a movie in Tamale in one week, I had to completely just like let go of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like there were like three camera people like this Throw here and I'm there. Yeah. It's just like it was amazing. Like yeah. it's the first time I've been making a movie that I was like, I'm channeling right now. Like I'm just like these are the resources and the things that are alive in front of but the this camera. This is the knowledge production. There we go. This is it. So it's like it's not even off it's not even is it offhand it's not offhanded off handed thing to say. It's like this is how knowledge production actually is existing in 2022. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. In that channeling, okay. in that, in, because the, the information or the knowledge yeah. doesn't, it hasn't disappeared, it's not gone anywhere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's still around. Yeah. It's where, or how we access it, where yeah. we're channeling it through um, ancestrally, yeah. engaging with somebody who's already, you know, maybe they have the knowledge more readily to hand. Yeah. This is all still it's still circulating. Yeah. It's a matter of how we bring it to the fore, I think. Yeah. I think. And yeah, like the structures are the same thing, you know, back with the journalism thing, it's like, this structure isn't, it's not, it's not working because it's not, you know, sometimes I, I find there'd be, there'd be situations where the editor would be like, we need a story on this. It's not the story, bro. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's just not what the story is. Mm-hmm, when mm-hmm, you go mm-hmm. and start talking to people, that's not what it uh, is. Yeah, no, this is, I love research for this reason. Yeah. Research, I think, I mean, I could over-research for sure. <laughs> but this is exactly research. It's like, you have an idea and you go and you start and it's, you shift according to what you meet yeah. and what's alive. And you have to have that freedom to move and be, 100%. like you were saying, creating by being and yeah. being in flow. Yeah. Listening to what people are actually talking about or yeah. saying or feeling or whatever. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and what they're saying and then what they're doing. That yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> before we round up, I just feel like it was really interesting what you were saying there with um, also the channeling and then bringing it back to infinite roots and channeling your you know mm-hmm. by editing your mum's mm-hmm. um book memoir a very personal kind of body of work it's like channeling like the channeling just just keeps coming through mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um yeah maybe that experience and just just sort yeah. of just thinking about that and how you felt and feel it was it was a delicate it. dance mm-hmm. because you know you're you're editing somebody's writing who you've heard speak mm-hmm. and you know how they express themselves you know I know how my mom expresses herself yeah. I know how good she's with words and how she's like speaking and then another box opens and another box opens mm-hmm. and so it's one of those things where I'm not an editor like mm-hmm. that's not my field mm-hmm. but at the same time it was this delicate dance of like you know editing and creating a certain structure around like where the paragraph graph breaks gonna happen mm-hmm. and like. How are we going to, like, you know, structure quotations and things like mm. that? But always focusing on keeping her voice alive yeah. and the way that it is, because I think that's what's so powerful. And you can't, like, I mean, I think novel writing does lend itself to this kind of writing, but you can't, I think the gift is just having that text mm. and then honoring it in everywhere it's going, yeah. but also being an outside gaze that can say, okay, maybe it's making yeah. sense here, it's yeah. not making sense there. So I, I really, I think it taught me a lot in terms of, you know, not not overly structuring or overly formalizing, like right. like really keeping the voice yeah. as heard, as known, let's yeah. say, outside of this text. As true to her. Yeah. 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 It reminds me of the, um, no, I, can't, I don't remember the full context of the poem, but 
the the title of Wasan Shire. Mm-hmm, I hope mm-hmm. this is how I'm saying it. Anyway. No, I, I love <laughs> yeah. this poet. Yeah. It's the um, it's the, the collection. I think is um, teaching my mother how to give birth. Yes, Ooh, I as I was just yeah. thinking, like yeah. this is what is coming up for me yeah. as you as you mm. as you're speaking and how those generational relationships you know also come yeah. into play and yeah for sure i mean i think i think for me too like both my parents are quite you know powerful people very knowledgeable people very very big people in a way um but they have different kinds of it back goes back back to different kinds of labor mm-hmm. and this is not to say one is one over the other mm-hmm. but just to specify you know my dad is a, a chair professor mm-hmm. you know so the work that he's done is like very visible, mm-hmm. you know, in a way that like masculinized work usually is, mm-hmm. you know, you can point to his body of work across a lifetime and, and honor it and revere it. But also he's a professor. He doesn't need anybody to. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not saying my mom necessarily needs people to revere her, but I think that her knowledge and the sort of fluidity of it, because she's speaking across languages and she has this like cross knowledge of Ghanaian cultures, especially and also like being an educationalist understanding that she's somebody who has taught so many people and brought them into reading and run book clubs and like has all this work that she's done but you know without the work of you know writing it down and then publishing it that work can go very unseen you know what i mean and not because you know because my mom is like a very has had a very great career in her own right but because of how we especially in in african and Ghanaian context see things you know, the wife of Adam's bottom right, you know what I right. mean? And I think that, you know, I think she herself would say that is work that she's proud of, mm-hmm. you know, being a mother, being a wife, yeah. right? Like, I never want to undo that and say that that's Great not, work. you know, yeah. right? But I also think that sometimes as a daughter, you know, mm-hmm. as somebody who is also in a female body, yeah. you know, I just think about that discrepancy too much, you know? And, and it kind of, I, I just think that for me, Infinite Roots becomes this gift on so many different levels, you know, because... It is an archive, a really rich, 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 rich archive, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but also just like finally, you know, something can yeah. be out in the world that just actually gives something visible yeah. to her knowledge yeah. and how masterful it is. And I think it's really important to me because all these people and a lot of mothers will say they're not doing it for the clout. And I myself will do a lot of things for other people and not want it to be like in, in light and in, in name or whatever. Like I don't need pe- people to shout from the mountaintops that I did something. Mm. Um, and that's, I think, is a good way to operate because you get to do the real work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I think when you look back at a life and what gets remembered and when yeah. you get into these sort of conversations, yeah, the importance of something like this, I think, is, yeah, yeah, can't be understated. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, thank you for sharing. I really, I had a good time. Yeah, thank you for sharing. <laughs> it, it went so many different places. I know. It's possible. Yeah. Undid all the, um, all the doings. Yeah, undid all the doings. <laughs> yeah, gladly. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah, so thank you. Thank you, listeners. Thank you, Nurtama. Mm-hmm. Thank you for joining me. I feel like our, these, our conversations c- can and will continue in so many different forms. So mm-hmm. I'm looking forward to different ways that that happens. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah so... We'll leave it here. Yeah, thank Thank you for having me. It's been wonderful. (laughs) Thank you.